Christmas is over. All the programs have been performed. All the pictures have been taken. The carolers are done singing. The holiday parties have come and gone. The presents are unwrapped. And the big dinners have all been eaten. The Christmas music is turned off. The family's headed back home. Someone from work is on the phone. The kids have a practice to get to. The house needs to be cleaned. The bills still need to be paid. The groceries are running low. The stock market is still down and up and down. The TV is still on. The news is still worrisome. Life just keeps going as if Christmas never happened. But it did happen. Look around. The church is full of family and friends and laughter. Because the baby is still the Savior. And the Savior is still the gift held out to a world still looking for joy, an earth still waiting for peace, and the peaceful still sing in wonder of the God who gave his son and the son who gave his life to add us to his family and one day welcome us home. Christmas is over. But remember that it really happened. And it changed everything. Well, I hope and trust that you had an amazing Christmas. Uh, now it's time to take it all down, okay? You probably have until just after New Year's, but if the second week of January rolls around and your stockings are still hung up on the chimney with care and your tree is still up, you might have an issue. Uh, during the Christmas time, the cold weather, it's festive. Uh, it is no longer festive. Now it's freezing. The toys that brought joy on Christmas are now causing fights because no one wants to share or because dad bought the wrong size of batteries. Today, the day after Christmas, life gets real. So let's get real. As we deal with life after Christmas, we're going to start with confession. Lieutenant Walter Hawk confessed that aliens really did land in Area 51 in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Roscoe White confessed 
that he was the second gunman at the JFK assassination and that Lee Harvey Oswald had taken part but had not fired any shots. Christian Sperling confessed that the famous Loch Ness monster photo that was taken was faked and Sperling's stepfather was the mastermind behind the plot. All of these confessions took place on their deathbeds. There's something about confession that we feel compelled to do, particularly on our deathbed. It's like, like a weight is lifted off of our shoulders. It is in confession that everything is laid bare. Have you ever washed the inside of your car super good? I'm, I'm talking like the armor all, like shiny stuff, like deep clean with uh, a high powered vacuum to get all the dirt, all the grime, like that three month old spilled milkshake. Like you cleaned it up that night, but there's still that little piece that's been on the plastic for the last three months. You finally scrub that off uh, and then you drive it. Then you drive your car and you're just like, did I just get a new car? Like your whole life seems brighter. Everything feels better. And I think today, as we get honest about life after Christmas, I think some of us are going to feel like we're driving a new car. It's the same car, but those milkshake spots uh, that, we, that we kept there way too long are now going to be removed. So today, let's start with confession. Let's get honest. Okay, we're going to dive into one verse and one verse only today, and let's see what God has for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. A couple interesting things about this passage of scripture. The author states the same truth both positively and negatively. Uh, negatively, he said, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Negative. And then positively, he states, everything, positive, everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is a very familiar formula in the ancient world, and particularly the Bible. You'll find this pattern of wisdom throughout Proverbs in particular. And I want to look at a couple of the Greek words in this text that are just riveting. First is the word uncovered, okay? It's the word gumnos. It means unclad, without clothing, the naked body, clad in undergarments only, okay? Uh, it's, it's a metaphorical for the soul, that everything is stripped. It's laid bare. The text is saying everything is in the open. Everyone is in their chonies. Everybody sees the flaws, the milkshakes that, that are spilt, every blemish, every fault, the things we post on Facebook and the things we don't, the things we say to other people, and the things that we wish we could say to other people, but we hold them back. There are things we reveal to other people and the things that we hope will never be revealed to anyone. It's all gumnos, naked. It's already confessed, even when it's not confessed. God sees it all. And the second word is extremely interesting. In English, it's laid bare. Laid bare. It's the word tracheolizo. It's where we get the word trachea. Okay, and it, it's a vivid word to describe uh, the grip of a wrestler on the neck of someone, of their opponent, or the grip on the neck of a sacrificial victim in preparation for sacrifice. 
the neck is about to be snapped or, or the throat is about to be cut. Everything is gumnos. Everything is trachelizo. Before the eyes to him, we must give account. What is this word picture trying to tell us? It's absolutely not saying that God grabs us by the throat and can snap our tiny little necks whenever he wants. No, that's not what it's saying. Rather, it is a picture of vulnerability and the vulnerability of our thoughts and actions before God. All of our deeds, all of our thoughts, all of our activity and inactivity are all vulnerable and laid bare naked before God. It's not about the things we tell him or about who we think we are. It's about the totality of our being. Everything that we are, it's all exposed. It's all uncovered. We're all unwrapped. There's no hiding. God's not surprised. The good, the bad, the ugly. In 1938, and uh, there was an article in Home and Garden magazine. It was about this politician, and they showed you around his house, and they showed you the paintings he had done, and they kind of poked fun at the way he signed his name at the bottom of the painting. It went on to show how he loved children, gave cupcakes to kids, was a strict vegetarian, never touched a drop of alcohol, and he loved animals. And they go around his house, and they have this huge spread of highlights. And who is this famous politician? Well, it's, it's Adolf Hitler. And the scariest part is that in that moment, Hitler was probably a nice guy. Now I'm worried that someone might turn off uh, their phone or uh, the TV or their computer screen right when I said Hitler's a nice guy. Okay, keep listening. There's more to this story. But no, but if you came to his house for a cup of coffee and he played Mozart on the piano, it would have probably been a pleasant afternoon. But the truth about Hitler wasn't in his private life, behind the scenes existence. No, the truth of Hitler was in his actions, how he lived, what he did. The truth of Hitler was in what he did. And the truth of who we are is not in who we portray ourselves to be. The truth of who we are is who we actually are. So many of us put a photoshopped version of ourselves on the internet for everyone to see. No, God's word says that everything is laid bare. It's gumnos. He sees it all. He sees the fights you had right before you took that smiling picture and posted it to the gram. God knows all of our dirty laundry. It's exposed. We're all vulnerable and he loves us still. He pursues us still. And I just don't get it, right? Like, I don't understand that kind of love and grace. I don't understand how he knows the deepest, darkest secrets of all of us and pursues us in grace and loves and longs to show mercy to us. He loves us. He adores us. I don't fully understand the unfathomable love and grace of God, but I'm not called to understand it. I'm called to respond to it, and so are you. What is our response to the scandalous love and grace of God? Are you presenting to the world a photoshopped version of self? We must take off the mask and start living in reality. And this is not just social media, but do we ever get real? Do we get real with others? Do we get real with our spouse? Do we get real with God? Let's get real. Let's confess. Jesus invites us to stop the charade and look at who we really are. Everything is naked, gumnos. Everything is laid bare, trachelizo. It's vulnerable before God.
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's all exposed. It's all uncovered. It's saying that our lives are already confessions. Whether you confess or not, you make confessions every single day by every single choice you make by what you think, by what you buy, by what you give your energies to. We're all confessors, and the act of confession is just being honest about what God already knows because it's already laid bare. It, we're already naked. Confession is a letting go of that. It's when darkness comes to light, and there might be consequences to our actions, to our confessions, but there's also freedom. And so, as we close the book on Christmas, and we move towards New Year's. As we close the book on 2021 and we, we look for a brighter 2022, here's my confession. Here is the thing that I need to get honest about. If I'm asking you guys to do something, I better be willing to do it my, for myself. And God already knows the struggle, but many of you don't know, but I'm gonna share it with you now. My struggle is insecurity. And I know some of you are like, come on, John, that's not a real confession. It's not a real struggle. Where's the big struggle? Now, before you allow yourself to go there, insecurity is at the root of many of our deepest struggles. And I certainly know that it's true for me. Who doesn't have something about themselves that they'd like to change? And if your hand isn't up, you're Jesus. Get Jesus the day after his birthday uh, is watching our service right now if you're not raising your hand. We've all got something about ourselves that we would like to change. Maybe it's the shape of your nose or your hair color or, or you know, maybe it's your hair color before you dye it, or the size of your waist, or how you have a lack of hair, or you're too tall, or you're too short, or you're an introvert and you wish you were Mr. Social. But there's something that every single one of us would want to change about ourselves. All of us have insecurities. Here are some signs that you too might struggle with insecurity. Uh, number one, you find it difficult to be happy for others. Okay, this is one of the most classic traits of an insecure person. People who aren't happy within themselves find it difficult to be happy for others. And if you love someone, whether that's a family member or a best friend, uh, you're supposed to want what's best for them. You're probably still going to have a hint of jealousy if they win the lottery, lose the weight you've been trying to lose, or fall in love before you do, but there's jealous and then there's toxic, okay? You can feel jealous and still feel happy for someone, but if you find that it upsets you when other people experience blessings, it's a big flashing warning light that you have your own insecurities and so do I. Number two, you get majorly defensive. Okay, I told you we were getting real today. Spouses are grabbing their hand, grabbing the hand of their, of, of their partner right now, looking at them saying, that's you. You get majorly defensive. Okay, this is definitely me when Sarah tells me that I've done something wrong. I become like a defense attorney and I'll do whatever it takes to defend my client. And my client is perfect Pastor John, okay? It's the me I want to be. Your Honor, I'd like to call perfect Pastor John to the stand. Perfect Pastor John, you have been accused by your wife of being maliciously moody. Um, how do you plead? Uh, not guilty, okay? I would never be maliciously moody. Perhaps I'm a tiny bit tired from serving the Lord all the day long and being such a wonderful father and husband. And the prosecutor, Sarah, yells across the courtroom, I object. He's not the saint he's claiming to be, Your Honor. 
And there is so much truth in that courtroom. Getting defensive is a huge sign that your mind is on your own insecurities instead of the world around you. Is this you? Because it's definitely me. Don't leave me hanging. Do you bark at people and get defensive when it's unnecessary to do so? Perhaps you're insecure and you're trying to protect an image of yourself that perhaps maybe doesn't even exist. It's all laid bare. It's all goonness. Number three, you have a temper. A fiery temper can mean maybe we're not feeling so great about ourselves. Without sounding too much like a therapist, the response of anger might be a subconscious way for us to divert our attention away from our own flaws and our own insecurities. But you might also genuinely feel angry at yourself for having whatever it is that you're insecure about. Now, as I go through that list, and you did not find yourself at all on that list, um, that might be ironic because one of the greatest signs of insecurity is refusing to admit you have insecurity. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to admit it. Our lives are confessions. Here's how this insecurity plays out in my life in some pretty crazy ways. I have a really unhealthy attachment to other people's opinions about me. I want everybody to like me. The thought of someone not liking me is paralyzing. Several years ago, I officiated the wedding of someone um, who I knew in high school. I was friends with her sister. She was younger, uh, but 20 years later, she asked me to officiate her wedding. And I didn't know the guy, he came from out of state. And so I do the wedding and they both start attending the church that I was pastoring. And after a rough several years of marriage, the marriage ended. And there's a lot more to that story, but that's not the point. The, he kept coming to church. She did not. It made sense for them to go to different churches. Um, it would be a bit awkward to sit next to each other. Anyways, uh, I don't see her for a couple of years. And then I run into her at Walmart. I see her in aisle 17 at Walmart. And this is before COVID. And I'm legit happy to see her. So I give her this big hug. How are you? It's great to see you. And she says, fine. And she goes right back to looking at the cake mix um, on the side. And I'm like, right on, right on. It was really great running into you. And then I get my cart and I start going through the store and I've got my text message open, uh, trying to finalize the list that Sarah had sent me. And I begin replaying this interaction from aisle 17 again and again. And I can't help but think, this woman kind of hates me. And I'm like, what did I do to her? I was actually really happy to see her. I, I couldn't help myself. And so I can't get this out of my head. I, I call Sarah, I tell her what happened, all the while looking around to make sure that I don't see her again in another aisle. Now, I, I say, I think I wanna find her again and just kinda clear the air. And Sarah says, absolutely, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Nah, I think I'm gonna do it. And she's like, no, John, it's okay if not everybody likes you. And I'm like, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. But I do, I listen to my wife, okay? I didn't track her down and then in the yogurt section and have a heart to heart. No, uh, I, I decide I, I'm just gonna let it go and I'm gonna go check out. And so I get all my stuff and all the lines are full. Every line's full except for one line. I get every, all my items in the cart and I start putting them on the tiny treadmill. And then I look up and she's the person right in front of me. And we kind of make eye contact and she goes back to her groceries. And then I thought to myself, sorry, Sarah, I gotta do this. So I tap her on the shoulder and I go, hi, it's me again. Uh, 
back in aisle 17, I couldn't help but like get this feeling that, that, that you kind of hate me. Um, and I just wanted to say like, I didn't choose any side. I love both of you guys and I was really happy to see you. She looks at me and she says, okay. And she goes back to checking out her groceries. The cashier just kept looking down, doing her job, not acknowledging that there's two people having this awkward interaction right in front of her. And uh, when the person, the girl in front of me, she left the store, I look at the cashier, the cashier looks like she's gonna hold, she's holding back laughter. And I said, she kind of hates me, huh? And she goes, oh yeah, big time. And then I never saw her again. I still haven't seen her again. I went home and the story still drives me crazy. I am an extremely flawed human being. Can anybody relate to the insecurities that I struggle with in Walmart and aisle 17? My insecurities are behind maybe every disagreement I have with my wife and they lurk in the corners of maybe most of my motivations. Everything is laid bare. This is my confession. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Confession is just being honest about what God already knows. Some of us need to hear that today. God knows our struggles. God knows our insecurities. But I am not my insecurity and you are not yours. I am so much more than my struggles and you're so much more than yours. For some of us, Christmas exposed some of our issues. Some of our issues came to the surface because some of our issues showed up at our front door. Some people we saw during the holiday brought out the worst in us, not the best in us. But you are not your worst moments. You are not your bad moments. You're more than that. Your whole life is a confession. What does it confess? The Irish philosopher Peter Rollins tells the story of a man smuggling things into a, a certain country, a different country. Every time he crossed the border, he'd have his backpack on in a wheelbarrow. And they'd stop him and they'd search everything and, and they would find nothing and so they would let him go. And the man would smile at the officers, almost a sinister smile. And this would happen numerous times throughout the month. The man would walk across the border with his wheelbarrow and the officers were convinced that he was smuggling something. They searched through his backpack, jeans, whatever, hat, to no avail. Years go by. The officers are retired. Now they're having dinner with some friends at a restaurant near the border and they see this man. They approach him in a very disarming manner. And they say, hey, let's, we're retired. Let's buy you a drink. We knew you were smuggling something all those years ago. Just tell us. We, we're, gone. We, we don't, we're not, we're not going to hold you accountable for it. What was it? What were you smuggling? And the man just looks so happy and satisfied to finally tell them. And he says, wheelbarrows. I was smuggling wheelbarrows. <laughs> Your whole life is a confession. What does it say? What does it confess? Does it confess to the Lordship of Jesus in your life? The one born in a manger that grew up to be the Savior. The one we celebrated yesterday. Does your life celebrate Jesus? On December 26th, in a similar way as it does on the 25th. We 
our lives should be a testament to the reality of Christmas, 365 days a year, not just the month of December, not just on the 25th. Jesus, I thank you so much that everything is laid bare. There is freedom in that. There's no pretending. We don't put a mask on for you. You know it all and you love us anyway. So God, as we turn the page on Christmas, may our lives tell the story of Christmas, of you meeting us where we are and you loving everyone. May we love everyone. May that be a testament to the reality of the Christmas story. God, we give you this time. We give you life after Christmas and may it reflect your love that was demonstrated that first Christmas in Jesus' name, amen. We wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we're back in person uh, on January 2nd and we can't wait to see you. Happy New Year, peace the Middle East.